Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosen. My name is Bob, reading today from a sermon that was once preached by Charles Spurgeon. This message is from a collection of Spurgeon messages created by Perry Boardman. It's known as Spurgeon's Gems. You can go there at SpurgeonGems.com. Today's message is from Volume 1, Number 48. It's entitled simply, Chastisement. Chastisement. His passage of scripture is Hebrews 12.5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. God's people can never, by any possibility, be punished for their sins. God has punished them already in the person of Christ. Christ, their substitute, has endured the full penalty for all their guilt, and neither the justice nor the love of God can ever exact again that which Christ has paid. Punishment can never happen to a child of God in the judicial sense. He can never be brought before God as his judge, as charged with guilt, because that guilt was long ago transferred to the shoulders of Christ, and the punishment was exacted at the hands of his surety. But yet, while the sin cannot be punished, while the Christian cannot be condemned, he can be chastised. While he shall never be arraigned before God's bar as a criminal and punished for his guilt, yet he now stands in a new relationship, that of a child to his parent, and as a son he may be chastised on account of sin. Folly is bound up in the heart of all God's children, and the rod of the Father must bring that folly out of them. It is essential to observe the distinction between punishment and chastisement. Punishment and chastisement may agree as to the nature of the suffering. The one suffering may be as great as the other. The sinner who, while he is punished for his guilt, may suffer no more in this life than the Christian who is only chastised by his parent. They do not differ as to the nature of the punishment, but they differ in the mind of the punisher and in the relationship of the person who is punished. God punishes the sinner on his own account because he is angry with the sinner and his justice must be avenged. His law must be honored. God's commands must have their dignity maintained, but he does not punish the believer on his own account. It is on the Christian's account to do him good. He afflicts him for his profit. He lays on the rod for his child's advantage. He has a good design towards the person who receives the chastisement. While in punishment the design is simply with God for God's glory, in chastisement, it is with the person chastised for his good, for his spiritual profit and benefit. Besides, punishment is laid on a man in anger. God strikes him in wrath, but when he afflicts his child, chastisement is applied in love. His strokes are, all of them, put there by the hand of love. The rod has been baptized in deep affection before it is laid on a believer's back. God does not afflict willingly, nor grieve us for naught. 
but out of love and affection, because he perceives that if he leaves us unchastened, we shall bring upon ourselves misery ten thousandfold greater than we shall suffer by his slight rebukes and the gentle blows of his hand. Take this in the very starting, that whatever your trouble or your affliction, there cannot be anything punitive in it. You must never say, Now God is punishing me for my sin. You have fallen from your steadfastness when you talk so. God cannot do that. He has once for all done it. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He is chastising you, not punishing you. He is correcting you in measure. He is not smiting you in wrath. There is no hot displeasure in his heart. Even though his brow may be ruffled, there is no anger in his breast. Even though his eye may have closed upon you, he hates you not. He loves you still. He is not wroth with his heritage, for he sees no sin in Jacob, neither in iniquity in Israel, considered in the person of Christ. It is simply because he loves you, because you are sons, that he therefore chastises you. Peradventure this morning I may have some within these walls who are passing under the chastising hand of God. It is to them that I shall have to speak. You are not all of you in trial, I know. No father chastises his whole family at once. It is so seldom that God afflicts people, after all, compared with their faults, that we must not expect to find in this congregation, perhaps, one half of the children of God passing under the rod of the covenant. But, if you are not under it now, you will have to pass under it some time or other in your life, so that what we may say, if it be not profitable to you in present circumstances, yet if treasured up and recollected, it shall be fetched out in some future time, when the wine will not have lost its flavor by keeping, but have improved thereby, and you will find it a bottle of cordial to your spirit, uh, useful to your heart. There are two dangers against which a person under the chastising hand of God should always be careful to keep a strict lookout. They are these. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. That is one. On the other hand, neither faint when thou art rebuked of him. Two evils. The one is despising the rod. The other is fainting under it. Evils always hunt in couples. Sins always go in a leash. It is a marvelous thing that there are always to be found two evils side by side. We have said sometimes that extremes are dangerous. And for this reason, that one evil has its opposite, which is equally a hurtful thing. Take this. There's a haughty pride which laughs at the rod. On the other hand, there is a foolish faintness which faints under it. I have found through life that there is always a Scylla and a Charybdis, a, a rock on the one side and a whirlpool on the other, in between which it is dangerous to steer. On the one hand, we are tempted to feel that we can do something and to trust in our works, and if we try to shun that, we run into sloth and leave off doing anything. 
At times we get proud of what we have accomplished, and in seeking to avoid that we become despairing and desponding. There are always two evils on the opposite side of one another. The way of righteousness is a difficult pass between these two great mountains of error. And the great secret of the Christian life is to wind his way along the narrow valley. God help us to do so. We'll point out the two this morning. The first evil to which the chastened Christian is liable is this. He may despise the hand of God. The second is that he may faint when he is rebuked. We'll begin with the first. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. This may be done in five ways, and in discussing the subject, I shall propose the remedy for each of these as we pass along. First, a man may despise the chastening of the Lord when he murmurs at it. Ephraim is like a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. When a son of God first feels the rod, he's like a bullock, a bull. He he kicks at it. He, He cannot bear it. He's an unbroken colt. And when he first feels the collar put upon his shoulders, he rears in the air and by all manner of ways expresses his aversion to it. The first time a child of God receives a blow from his father's hand, he may possibly turn round upon his own tender father and murmur at him, Why ought I to have this? Why am I thus punished and afflicted? Why should I be chastised? What have I done to be afflicted and chastened? You will wonder, perhaps, that a man who has grace in his heart should talk like this. But in reality, we do say so, not with the words of our lips, but with the thoughts of our hearts. For we sit down and say, I am the man who has seen affliction. I am the man more tried and troubled than others. No one is ever chastened as I am. And we look around with the eye of jealousy, exclaiming, Well, that man is happier than I. That man has less sorrow and suffering. We are too apt to put our own condition in the worst place and describe ourselves as being the most afflicted of all God's people. Though we blush to say it, it is true. There are murmurers in the midst of Israel right now, as well as in the camp of Israel of old. There are people of God who, when the rod falls, cry out against it, who, instead of kissing the son lest he be angry, turn around upon him and and speak against the afflictive dispensations of God. We know ourselves what it is, when we have a, a little sickness, to be so cross that hardly anybody dares to speak to us. And if we have a little pain, perhaps in our head, we know what it is to think all the world is going wrong and to be grieved and vexed and melancholy on that account. Many of you have been foolish enough when bereaved of your property to cry out, Ah, God takes everything away. He smites me with one stroke upon another. Surely he is an unkind God. And you have felt, when you have lost your friends, that you could not say, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You have thought, Oh, why this? Simon is not, Joseph is not. Now you want to take Benjamin away? All these things are against me. (laughs) We have murmured. Now listen to the exhortation. My son, 
Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. That is despising God's chastening when we murmur against it. Patience is the only way to receive it. A need of resignation shows that we despise God's chastening hand. A word with you, O murmurer. Why should you murmur against the dispensations of your heavenly Father? Can he treat you more harshly than you deserve? Consider what a rebel you were once, but he has pardoned you. Surely if he chooses now to lay the rod upon you, you need not cry out. Have you not read that among the Roman emperors of old it was the custom when they would set a slave at liberty to give him a blow to the head and then say, Go free. This blow which your father gives you is a token of your liberty. And do you grumble because he smites you rather hardly? After all, are not his strokes fewer than your crimes and lighter than your guilt? Are you smitten as harshly as your sins deserve? Consider the corruption that is in your breast. and Then you will wonder that there needs so much of the rod to fetch it out. No. Weigh yourself and discern how much dross is mingled with your gold. And do you think the fire too hot to burn away so much dross as you have? Why, you have not the furnace hot enough, methinks. There's too much dross, too little fire. The rod is not laid on hardly enough, for that proud spirit of yours proves that your heart is not thoroughly sanctified. And though it may be right with God, your words do not sound like it, and your actions do not portray the holiness of your nature. It is the God Adam within you that is groaning. Take heed if you murmur, for it will go hard with murmurers. God always chastises his children twice if they don't bear the first blow patiently. I have often heard a father say, Boy, if you cry for that, you shall have something to cry for by and by. <laughs> so if we murmur a little, God gives us something that will make us cry. If we groan for nothing, he will give us something that will make us groan. Sit down in patience. Despise not the chastening of the Lord. Be not angry with him. He's not angry with you. Say not that he deals too hardly with you. Let humility rise up and speak. It is well, O Lord. Just are you in your chast chastising, for I have sinned. Righteous are you in your blows, for I need them to fetch me near to you. For if you do leave me uncorrected and unchastened, I, a, a poor wanderer, must pass away to the gulf of death and sink into the pit of eternal perdition. Well, there is the first sense in which we may despise the chastening of the Lord. We may murmur under it. Well, secondly, we despise the chastening of the Lord when we say there is no use in it. There are certain things that happen to us in life which we immediately set down for providence. If a grandfather of ours should die and leave us 500 pounds, oh, what a merciful providence that would be. If by something strange in business we were suddenly to accumulate a fortune, that would be a blessed providence. If an accident happens and we are preserved and our limbs are not hurt, now that is always providence. But suppose we were to lose 
500 pounds. Would not that be a, a providence? Suppose our establishment should break up and business fail. Would not that be a providence? Suppose we should, during the accident, break our leg. Would not that be a providence? There's the difficulty. It's always providence when it's a good thing. Why is it not providence when it does not happen to be just as we please? Surely it is so. For if the one thing be ordered by God, so is the other. It is written, I form the light and I create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. But I question whether it is not despising the chastening of the Lord when we set a prosperous providence before an adverse one. For I do think that an adverse providence ought to be the cause of as much thankfulness as a prosperous one. And if it is not, we are violating the command, in everything give thanks. But you say, oh, of what use would such a trial be to me? I, I cannot see that it can by any possibility be useful to my soul. Here I was, growing in grace just now. But there's something that has dampened all my ardor and overthrown my zeal. Just now, I was on the Mount of Assurance, and God has brought me to the Valley of Humiliation. Can that be any good to me? A few weeks ago I had wealth and I distributed it in the cause of God. Now I have none. What can be the use of that? All these things are against me. Well, now you are despising the chastening of the Lord when you say that it is of no use. No child thinks the rod of much value. Anything in the house is of more use than that rod, in his opinion. And if you were to ask the child which part of the household furniture could be dispensed with, he would like uh, chairs, uh, tables, uh, everything else to remain, but but not that. The rod, he does not think of any good whatever. He despises the rod. Yeah, so do we. Uh, We think it cannot benefit us. We want to get rid of the rod and turn it away. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Let me show you how wrong you are. What? Does your ignorance affect to say that God is unwise? I thought it was written that he was too wise to err. And I did think that if you were a believer, that he was too good to be unkind. And does your little wisdom arrogate to itself the chair of honor? Does your finite knowledge stand up before your maker and tell him he is unwise in what he does? Will you dare to say that one of his purposes shall be unfulfilled, that he does an unwise act, oh, then you are impudently arrogant. You are also impudently ignorant, if you will thus speak. Say not so. Bend meekly down before his superior wisdom and say, O God, I believe that in the darkness you are brewing light that in the storm clouds you are gathering sunshine, that in the deep mines you are fashioning diamonds, in the beds of the sea you are making pearls. I believe that however unfathomable may be your designs, yet they have a bottom. Though it is in the whirlwind and in the storm, you have a way, and that way is good and righteous altogether. 
I would not have you alter one atom of your dispensations. It shall be just as you will. I bow before you, and I give my ignorance the word to hold its tongue and to be silenced while your wisdom speaks words of right. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord by thinking that it can be of no possible service to you. There is a third way in which men despise the chastening of the Lord. Excuse my voice today. That is, we may think it dishonorable to be chastened by God. How many men have thought it to be dishonorable to be persecuted for righteousness' sake? A young man, for instance, is in a situation in business where he has a large number of fellow workmen with him. They're accustomed to jeer him, to call him pretty titles, Methodist, Dissenter, Presbyterian, or some other kind of name most common among the worldly. This young man, for a time, bears it, but still thinking it a a kind of disgrace to him. He does not know how to endure it. So after a while, being beaten by these jeers and overcome by these insults, he leaves it off, because he discovers that the reproach of Christ is dishonorable to him. Oh, my son, if you do this, you despise the chastening of the Lord. If you think that reproach for Christ's sake is a dishonor, you judge wrongly of it. For it is the greatest honor that can possibly happen to you. There are many of you who count that religion is very honorable while you can be respectable in it, while you can walk in respectable society. But if the cause of God brings you into tribulation, if it engenders the laugh and jeer of the worldling, the hiss and the scorn of the world, then you think it a dishonor. But my son, You do not weigh the blessing rightly. I tell you once again, it is the glory of a man to be chastened for God's sake. When they all say evil against us falsely, we put that down not in the book of dishonor, but in the scroll of glory. When they call us by scornful titles, we write not that down for loss, but for gain. We accept their jeers as honors. We count the vile things they cast at us in the pillory of scorn to be a donation of pearls and diamond. We take their evil speaking. We read it by the light of the word of God and we discover that in it lie music, notes of honor, and chords of glory to us forever. Now you who faint under a little trouble and despise the chastening of the Lord. Let me encourage you in this way. My son, despise not the persecution. Remember how many men have borne it. What an honor it is to suffer for Christ's sake, because the crown of martyrdom has been worn by many heads better than yours. Oh, methinks it would be the greatest dignity I could ever attain to if the enemy would place the blood-red crown of martyrdom around this brow. We in these gentle times cannot suffer for Christ's sake in that way. God has not put us in evil times because we cannot encounter so much as we wish for him. These times are not good for us. We almost wish for different ones when we might be more partakers with Christ in his sufferings. 
We would almost envy those blessed men of yore who had the opportunity of showing their courage and faith to all men by enduring more for Christ. If any of you are in a peculiar place of trouble where you have more persecution than others, you ought to glory in it, and you should be glad of it. He that stands in the thickest part of the battle shall have the highest glory at last. The old warriors would not stand and skirmish a little on the outside of the army, but what would they say? To the center, men! To the center! And they cut through thick and thin until they reached the place where the standard was. And the hotter the battle, the more glory the warrior felt. He could glory that he had been where shafts flew the thickest and where lances were hurled like hail. I've been near the standard, he could say. I've smitten the standard-bearer down. Count it glory to go into the hottest part of the field. Fear not, man, your head is covered in the day of battle. The shield of God can easily repel all the darts of the enemy. Be bold for his name's sake. Go on still rejoicing, but mark you, if you turn back, you're guilty of the sin of despising the cross and despising the chastening of the Lord. Do not do so but rather write it down for an honor and glory to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. He goes on to the fourth place here, that is when we do not earnestly seek to amend by that chastening. That's the fourth place, but we can't go there today. We're going to stop right there. We'll pick it up there next time. Thank you so much for being with me today. Don't forget that you can access this series of messages online at Spurgeon Gems. Not Spurgeons, don't put the S in there this time, but Spurgeon Gems, that's gems with a G, <laughs> dot com. Well, I want to welcome you again and thank you for being here. Don't forget we've got 3,500 plus audios now. Uh, featuring some of the church's great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea in English and Korean, Bible studies on a number of subjects, and a blog. And if you need more than that, consider buying one of my books at Amazon.com or you can contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com and I'll tell you all about our Zoom meetings on Saturday night and Tuesday noon. Get in touch with me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Well, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun. This audio is being released on the 7th of March, 2023. And Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.